1: Our country once again. You've sat there too long for all the
2: good you have done. In the name of God, go. We need to recognise that Russia is now calling the shots here.
3: Mad in their sleeves, with a divided party, a prime minister losing the support of his backbenchers, and governing shambolically.
4: Hello, you're listening to Bloomberg Westminster, your daily guide to British politics. I'm Caroline Hepke.
1: Good afternoon, I'm Ewan Potts. On today's programme we're going to be speaking to Conservative MP Richard Fuller and Hannah White, author of a new book which asks the question, what's wrong with the House of Commons?
4: Well, let's go to the top news story this morning a mini reshuffle from the right of the Conservative Party. Jacob Rees Mogg gets to be a full cabinet member and has the golden opportunity to put his money where his mouth is after being appointed to the newly created role of Minister for Brexit Opportunities. Meanwhile, the former chief whip, Mark Spencer, takes Mogg's old gig as leader of the House of Commons. While few women were involved in the rejig, two Chris's, Heaton-Harris and Pincher were moved into the Whip
1: Rolls. Sir Johnson's task as he faces Prime Minister's question today is to seize the agenda and to win over any backbenchers wavering on whether to submit those letters to the 1922 committee. But potential pitfalls abound, not least pressure to reduce the enormous NHS waiting list. And a group of MPs are warning that delays at the border could increase further if issues with post Brexit checks aren't resolved. Public Accounts Committee Chair Meg is warning that Britain's ports are not designed for the checks now being needed.
3: They designed the roll-on roll-off ports on all sides of the UK. So as soon as you add in weights of even 30 seconds extra per vehicle, this is the sort of thing that causes that backlog and those lorry queues that we saw. So there are very real risks still ahead and the government needs to level up and be honest about this.
4: Okay, so be honest is the message from that MP. Well, joining us now is Richard Fuller, who is Conservative MP for North East Bedfordshire and has been since 2019. Richard, welcome to the programme. Thank you for being with us. So firstly, um, is the Prime Minister, in your view, still able to govern effectively? That was your concern after the Sue Gray initial findings were released.
2: Well, absolutely he is. And I think the... Uh, mini-shuffle that he did uh, yesterday was a sign that he understands that he's got to make changes to start putting his foot on the accelerator of the issues that we fought the, the, uh, the 2019 election on. and um, I do think he's got the uh, capacity to do that, and I, I hope he does it effectively.
1: You've said uh, recently that you felt let down by the lax standards at the heart of government. What's your take on uh, the Prime Minister's uh, accusation towards Keir Starmer that, uh, over Jimmy Savile, which is he's come in for a lot of, uh, a lot of criticism for. Do you, do you think he should have apologised about that?
2: Well, I think he's clarified, hasn't he? And, and I think that's important that he he does that, because um, the issue wasn't, of course, that Sir Keir Starmer um, failed to prosecute the uh, Jimmy Savile case. It was that Sir Keir Starmer was in charge of the CPS at a time, Uh, when the lawyers at uh, the CPS, the Crown Prosecution Service, weren't perhaps moving to speed. And so Sakir recognised that, and he apologised for And That has, of course, resonance with the situation now for the Prime Minister at Number 10. Um, There there are allegations, and we have an inquiry uh, looking at some of those in more detail about events that went on at at Number 10. And the Prime Minister has ultimately, whatever the findings, to accept responsibility of that and and to apologise. And I know for many of my constituents that have lot have been very hurt uh, by these allegations.
4: That's a pretty uh, big stretch, isn't it, to try to compare uh, the role of Keir Starmer when it comes to Jimmy Savile, you know, um, sex, sex offender, to the prime minister and party gate. I mean, the prime minister attended those parties. That's why he's being held responsible. That's an amazing comparison.
2: I don't think it's an amazing comparison. I think it's a fairly uh, straightforward comparison. It may have, um, and I think this is a point that was made by some of the uh, people who've been victims of uh, Jimmy Savile, had relatives who were, that it was not appropriate to use it. And that was the word I think the Speaker quite rightly used, which was the comment in the House of Commons was, was inappropriate. And I do hope the Prime Minister uses today's the opportunity to clarify further what he meant. But I do think that there is a there is a, there is a comparison here about what the mm. role and responsibility is ultimately for running a department. But as you say, um, can I if if beyond that there is um, a finding of a fact against the prime minister
5: mm. that he
2: has done something wrong, he's broken the rules. He's going to have to take the consequences for that.
4: Okay, but sorry, just to clarify this, um, this sounds like we are moving towards Conservative MP and you doubling down on a comment in Parliament that was rebuked by the parliamentary speaker that was rejected at the time by many MPs. But now you're doubling down on this comparison in terms of, you know, Keir Starmer and his responsibility around Jimmy Savile. That's quite a change of tone.
2: Well, I'm not, uh, I didn't mean to convey the impression I'm doubling down on on anything. What I'm trying to say is that there is a difference between um, the, the, the inappropriate comments that Sakir Starmer failed to prosecute um, the cases with Jimmy Savile. Uh, but there is a fair comparison to be made between what is the responsibility for people in charge of large organizations when things go wrong with them. I think that's a fair comparison to make.
1: I want to talk a bit about Brexit. The Public Accounts Committee says that EU border controls could mean delays for holidaymakers this summer, and worse, that Brexit has already hit trade. Are businesses in your area happy with the extra paperwork they're facing uh, to export to many of our our biggest trade partners? Yeah,
2: Yeah, that's a fair fair question. I did have, uh, sort of immediately after um, the the transition out of the EU, um, some constituent firms worried about that. I think there's more concerns about some of the tax issues and differences now and the changes that have occurred as we've left the European Union. Um, If there is going to be a a long-term impact on um, the actual transportation across the channel to France or to other parts of the European Union, then I think uh, Jacob Rees-Mogg, who's now having this Brexit auction, needs to look at what we can do on our side of those checks to make sure there is light touch as possible.
4: OK, but the changes have already happened. Meg Hillier, for example, the opposition Labour Party MP who chairs um, you know, the committee that gave the, this latest report on Brexit said that the only detectable impact so far from Brexit is increased costs, paperwork and border delays. It's already happened.
2: Yeah, I mean, look, like Meg's a friend of mine, I think she's a very good chair of the Public Accounts Committee, so I don't mean in any way to disparage her by, by repeating what Lord Frost said today. He said that he welcomed the report, but it was a rather thin report. And he then went on to say that there are opportunities here for the United Kingdom to take a more more uh, deregulatory view about that to help ease some of the concerns that were raised in that report.
1: You say more should be done on our side to minimise checks, but uh, th- th- there, yeah, there are mean, two sides opinion, here. UN, aren't
2: there, so. <laughs> the, the point is, Ewan, you know, that the, the, the EU is a protectionist bloc. We know that. One of the reasons why I supported uh, believe was that I wanted us to be open to what I believe in free trade. I believe in the opportunity for us to trade with the world focused on the priorities for our country. And that's what we should be doing. That's what Jacob Rees-Mogg needs to be putting his foot on the accelerator about now that he's got this new position.
4: OK, let's talk also then about one of the other key concerns for voters, uh, millions of people waiting for NHS treatment. Um, the government says that the, the list is going to get longer before it starts to fall. Is enough being done to address staff shortages, which in, is also a, partly a consequence of Brexit? There are reported to be 40,000 vacant nursing positions in England alone.
2: Well... I think there's a, a tremendous opportunity for us to radically change the way in which our health service operates. Jeremy Hunt has, has already pointed out, uh, when his position as chair of the Select Committee, about opportunities for the health service to do longer planning about personnel that they need. I think there's an opportunity to change the very restrictive practices that we have in terms of what qualifications are required at different levels. I've been talking to GP surgeries in my own constituency and it's quite natural. I suppose we all think, well, it's not wrong, I need to speak to my GP. But most general practices in, across the country now have a mix of talents within the GP. And if we can use technology to diagnose um, or triage people at primary care, you can go and get directed to the right person at your local uh, physician's practice much more easily. In fact, in my own constituency, there's a practice that's already adopting some technology for that. We have seen with the NHS... App that there's an opportunity to put more and more information about one's personal health in your own app, and with more diagnostic money going into diagnostic centres, we can start moving the NHS much more to a preventative um, healthcare solution. So I would I would hope that Sajid Javid, who's the Secretary of State, is looking very very openly to radical opportunities to improve the quality of healthcare that's available for this for
1: this country. I'm, I'm
2: sure it's right
1: to. I'm, sorry. I'm sure it's right to search out technological changes and improvements to, to working uh, methods in the NHS, but that stuff uh, takes time, doesn't it? Surely, in, an, in a very, very labour-intensive business which is delivering healthcare, surely we simply need more doctors and nurses.
2: Well, exactly. One of the one of the things we've done with our points system is now we have the ability with immigration for the Home Secretary to target uh, people with qualifications this country needs and to encourage people to come. So. Yes, I think we should, and uh, I hope that she and um, the NHS are working on making sure that we have the personnel that we need.
4: Mm. Uh, just a last thought on Boris Johnson. Is he over the crisis then? Can we expect him to be fighting the next general uh, election?
2: No, I don't think he's over the crisis, can I? Look, I think it's. Look, I, I strongly want the Prime Minister to get on with the agenda of, of implementing the manifesto, dealing with the cost of living issues, the energy mm. issues that we've been talking about. But that is not the same as to say that all of the hurdles that he needs to go over uh, regarding the events at number 10 have have been uh, covered. I mean, there is the issue of the grey report. We have the Met Police. There's the issue of lying to Parliament. There is a fit and proper person test. And then there's a a test which I think all leaders of all countries in the West, which have taken very restrictive measures to deal with COVID, have to get over, which is how people feel about this very traumatic period and the responsibilities for those who pass the laws. I mm. uh, took the actions and decisions, but that will rest on their conscience, but also arrest rest in the memory of the public. And the prime minister's got to bear the burden of all of those tests. I think, uh, for him ultimately to reach the position you were you were saying.
5: Success is more than a destination; it's a path you take one step at a time.
4: Well, let's have a look at what else is making news in the world of politics. And for that, we're joined by Bloomberg's Leanne Gerrans this morning. So the London Mayor Sadiq Khan is questioning the Met Police Commissioner, uh, Cressida Dick, over the culture within the force. Almost every day I read a new uh, report about the Met and concerns around what's going on internally. Indeed, Caroline. And we've also seen a slew of
6: bad headlines about the Met. But let's move on from that and really focus on what the Mayor mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, was saying this morning. He was speaking to the BBC and to Sky News and he called on Cressida Dick to give him answers in days over that toxic culture within the force that you just mentioned Cressida Dick is under intense pressure after an official report showed how officers, which were mainly based at Charing Cross, were found to have joked about rape, killing black children and beating their wives. Mm. The Met Police has come under really heavy criticism. And I remember last year, Sarah Everard was raped and murdered by a serving police officer wayne cousins as she did walk home in the dark and the force was widely criticized for its policing at a vigil in everard's honor on clapham common which i did attend at the time but crucially this is not down to sadiq khan it's up to the home secretary priti patel to decide if Cressida dick stays in her position but once again she is coming under fire
1: Yeah, serious, serious questions uh, for the Met to answer. Now, um, Leanne, onto a subject which I know is uh, something which is uh, central to your heart. (laughs) Boris Johnson's been having a bit of a, a rough time.
6: Yes, indeed. But the Labour Party is leading in the polls, as you do know, Ewan. As the Conservatives really struggled to claw back ground following allegations of lockdown parties, which have caused a lot of ramifications and as you were just discussing with the Conservative MP Richard Fuller, also the remarks to Keir Starmer about Jimmy Savile. So opinion polls are painting a bit of a gloomy picture of Johnson's future but there is an alternative poll I've found which is a little bit more fluffy and maybe a little bit more nippy. Boris has lost the lead as the best dog name. Johnson's, <laughs> Johnson's first name rose to popularity after he became an MP. Do remember all the way back in 2015, with 313 puppies christened Boris in the year after the 2019 general election. I think that's quite a large amount, actually. And the name is for life, it not is. just for <laughs> <a> Christmas. <laughs> yes, indeed. But guess what? Last year, only 123 dogs were called a Boris. And I must say, I've got two little dogs and I have heard Boris. And for some reason, Derek called a lot when people are in the park shouting. For their runaway Derek, dogs, yes, that? Derek and Boris. So Interesting. Not, yeah, I know. I'm not quite sure why, and I do know our next guest has a cat called Carbull. So, as you say, animals' names last forever.
4: <laughs> <I can't stop. laughs> Bloomberg's Leon Garins. There. Okay. Ending on a lighter note. Yes, I think the name of uh, your pet very revelatory. Well, perhaps it will reveal something about our, our next uh, interviewee. So, Britain is facing significant challenges, as we know, having rolled out the vaccine against. Since the pandemic. Now, there are the economic challenges of inflation, of soaring energy bills, the NHS waiting list and uh, trade after Brexit. But This, as the Prime Minister and the ruling Conservative Party have flouted convention, at times possibly the law, pushing the boundaries uh, of the parliamentary system from the Owen Paterson affair to proroguing uh, Parliament and the partying during the lockdown that Leanne mentioned. Joining us now is Dr Hannah White, who is the Deputy Director of the Institute for Government. About her new book, it's called, Held in Contempt, What's Wrong with the House of Commons? Good to have you on Dr White, welcome. You argue that it's internal flaws that are undermining the public reputation of the, of the House of Commons. What do you see as the problem right now?
3: Well, I think MPs are very good at looking at the low, parlously low state of trust in politics in our country and throwing their hands up in horror and saying, "Oh my God, this is terrible, isn't it?" But it's always been this way, and. My view is that's just not true. And it's, an, it's them uh, handing off the responsibility, if you like, for things that they could be changing about the House of Commons, which would actually make a difference. And you've mentioned one of the big things uh, which we've been experiencing the past few months are these constant scandals and uh, breaches of the rules, which we've seen from uh, MPs, you know, as you say, from the Owen Patterson case, but also the way that the government responded to that Mm -hmm. Um, the idea that there are rules, uh, laws and sort of more informal rules which are set, which MPs seem to be saying to the public, you know, those are for you and they don't really apply to us. And I think that is really damaging of public trust because it it creates this distance between the public uh, and their MPs.
1: But in the Owen Paterson case, was there a problem with with the rules or was it just a problem that the government was was trying to change them because they, they, they didn't like them?
3: Well, they suddenly decided, yes, when they got an outcome from the rules, which had all been agreed previously by the House of Commons, they'd all voted for those rules, but that the, the government suddenly said, well, we don't think they're fair. There's now a process going on to look at how they could be changed. Um, but as a, as a result of that, actually, what we're looking at is a tightening of the rules around second jobs, because when it became clear what it was that Owen Paterson had been doing and arguing that he was doing you know, very uh, legitimately, when actually to many other people, it was a clear breach of the rules. It also came out what quite a lot of other uh, MPs had been doing in terms of having second, third, fourth roles. And the the public reaction to that was, well, gosh, actually, we thought you were uh, being elected to do a job for us. And we thought that was quite a busy job. Mm. And we don't quite understand why you think you have time for other roles. And that led to the, the government making a commitment and the House deciding that they wanted to put some boundaries around that. But we're yet to see quite what what that will look like.
4: Yeah. Owen Patterson having been found um, to have engaged in paid lobbying. That was the the finding. Um, That's right. Yeah. So, look, is it, though, the institution, as you say, the, the rules, the conventions that govern Parliament, or is it just the politicians that are the problem?
3: Well, I think to an extent it's the politicians in the sense that, you know, the sorts of people who choose to stand for uh, election as an MP are, you know, tend uh, you know it stands to reason that they're slightly more sort of risk-taking personalities but actually I think the, the way the House of Commons is set up is quite unhealthy in terms of what it does to people once they get there. There's a real attitude that uh, MPs are, are sort of an exception to every rule um, there's a uh, the, the rules and the processes by which Parliament runs itself are, are very arcane and difficult for, for people to understand, even for MPs to, to understand. So they don't all have a leving, level playing field in terms of how they do their jobs. And the government in, in recent years has has been increasingly sort of sidelining the role of Parliament. We've seen this in Brexit and in also in relation to uh, coronavirus, that Actually, government increasingly is is trying to say, well, parliament Parliament doesn't matter, um, and we're going to get on and do the job uh, on our own. <laughs> Thank you very much. And I, and I think that is also sort of damaging to people's view of of, of the of the House of Commons.
1: On those arcane and, and, and difficult rules, surely there's a place, an, an important place for tradition in in the mother of parliaments. So you, you're not uh, suggesting that the House of Commons operates like a any other workplace, are you?
3: no but i mean i think that it the the rules have essentially accreted over centuries and every time the house of commons thinks of something new it wants to be able to do it tends to add a rule so that the, the book that that sets out the, the you know the core rules of the house of commons the standing orders they're called is over 200 pages long uh, or also lots of uh, rulings and speakers you have to understand to be able to function in, in the House of Commons. Um there's something called Erskine May, which is like the parliamentary Bible, which is also relevant. So it's really difficult for new MPs coming in to understand, you know, how they're supposed to operate. And I just think it doesn't need to be that complicated. And when it came to to Brexit, you know, there was a regular call for people like me to come on the radio and explain just what was going on to the public. And I think it feels to me wrong that things should have to be so overly complicated that MPs and the public don't know, you know, quite how it is that this that the um, the House of Commons is 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 doing its job.
4: Well, is it also just about simplification, or is it perhaps, um, you know, a little bit of a mirror of what is going on in US politics, i.e., a kind of watering down of agreed principles of what we think of as, you know, the, the truth, and also the fact that perhaps uh, our parliamentary system, our cabinet-style government is actually looking a bit more presidential in style with so much more power held in, uh, you know, in, held in number 10 as opposed to, to, to old cabinet ministers?
3: Yeah, I mean, I think there has been a lot said about our, our system becoming more uh, presidential. There's certainly, with our current prime minister, more of a sense of, of the importance of, of personality Uh, in people's choices of prime minister rather than necessarily kind of uh, ability to to do the job. But I think you pick up on a really interesting point there, which is about this question of of truth and uh, what is said in the House of Commons. We've obviously had questions in recent days about what Boris Johnson chose to say about Keir Starmer, under the cover of parliamentary privilege, he, he made allegations about his what he did in his role as uh, Director of Public Prosecution. And that's caused quite a lot of disquiet because there is this, you know, for good reason, MPs are protected uh, for what they say in the chamber uh, so that they can do their jobs without fear or favour and raise issues. But when that protection is used to, to, to try to um, you know, cast assertions about your political opponent rather than in order to sort of advance the, the public good. That isn't, I think, a very good look for Parliament. Um, and again, that undermines, in in the public's view, this sense that you know, well, are MPs in the House of Commons to do a job for us and to run the country and to solve the really critical issues, some of which you mentioned at, at the top of the programme, hmm. that are facing us now, or are they there to to uh, advance their own careers and to make sure that you know
1: they personally have the job they want Bloomberg Westminster listen weekdays at noon on DAB digital radio
5: in London do you love Elon Musk do you hate Elon Musk do you have no idea what to think about Elon Musk then we have just a show for you